Welcome to Bite Size Dental Marketing. Today I have Kristen. Kristen, yeah. it's so nice to have you back on. It's been a minute. I wanted to have you on because we, we're starting to get questions as 2023 wraps up and we've had an onslaught of new folks looking to join us as, as clients. And one of the questions we get is how do we broaden the appeal of a dentist to a prospective population? And it, it's such a challenging question because, and there's so many flavors of the question. What's my unique value? What are you giving to the, what differentiates you? All these are really the, how do I appeal to the broader audience available to me? But really that's a, that's a hard question to answer. So I wanted to have you on creative director no one no one positions anyone better than you do yeah. maybe paid media yeah yeah they do they do that too true and when i think of this question in any of its forms i i actually tend to go the other way paradoxically i think by niching down you demonstrate excellence and you show specialty and you show a level of detail that in fact broadens your appeal and I'll use our agency as an example. We've niched down from you know all of dental to now we really want to specialize in fee-for-service or aspiring fee-for-service practices. But we get a ton of offices that, even though they know that's what we do, they want to join us because they see the work, they see the quality, they see how we've – it has actually broadened the overall appeal. And, and I think part of it is because they – they aspire to be fee-for-service someday, even though maybe they're not today. And I think the same applies to a dentist, right? I mean, if if I know you can do implants and all-on-fours and you do full-mouth reconstructions, and that's kind of the focus of your marketing, you're, you're niching down. But to the general population, I you can probably handle my little issue too if you can do that amazing work. Yeah, I would say if you're a dentist or any business that's trying to do it all, you're kind of having that effect of jack of all trades, master of none. So you can Desperate. do it all technically, but how proficient mm -hmm. are you in those individual categories when it gets down to the nitty gritty? Are you going to be able to remember it all? Is there something you're going to be missing? Are we lacking in the quality of that specific treatment? And so it's a really important to be able to niche down and to focus on the things that you really care about and the things that you're actually really good at. Because we can have general dentists that can do implants, they can do dentures, they can do family dentistry, pediatrics, but next thing you know, you're spread so thin that you're never able to get the right amount of experience and knowledge in those specific treatment areas. And maybe you've only done one implant case and then someone comes in expecting to pay, you know, what, 20 grand for an implant. And you're nervous because you've only done one and it comes out terribly. And then they have to go to a, an implant specialist and do it all over again. And so it's frustrating. And it's important for you as a business to figure out what you really want to do, what are the things that you love, and really dive deep into there. Because then you're going to find the people that you need to find and more of them. So instead of getting, getting 100 random people, you can get, you know, if you're an implantologist, you can get those implant-specific patients and focus on the things that you're really, really good at. Now, when you look at knowing your people, and this is kind of the theme you're on is knowing your audience, what do you what do you think is important to that? How do I do that? Where do I, you know, where do I begin, so to speak? Yeah. So I would say first figure out what you want to do. So whatever service that is, and it can be, you know, a small section of things. Maybe if you are an implantologist, you can do dentures too, and you can do like those very specific oral surgery realm items. So figure out what that is first. 
and then, you know, obviously get certified and everything, get all the education you need, get all the tools and technology you need to, to be good at it and successful at it for your patient's sake. And then figure out who are these people that are in need of these services most. It's probably not going to be kids, maybe one or two, you know, here that like they get in some crazy accident, things happen, right? But most, usually it's going to be older people. It's going to be, you know, grandparents. It's going to be people in nursing homes. It's, you know, maybe even on the end of the spectrum of mental age. So you can kind of target that. Hmm. And then once you figure out who those people are, figure out the things that they're doing and what channels they're using. You know, older people are probably not going to be on TikTok. Maybe a few on Instagram here and there, but it's going to be rare. You're more likely mm -hmm. to get success with the boots on the ground efforts at senior living centers or doing community centric posts or, you know, going into the newspapers, magazines, anything local based and traditional media is likely to be more successful for those older patients because they're rooted in, this is what I know. I'm going to stick to it. I'm scared of the new stuff. Most of them do not go onto the, you know, maybe not even a website. Some do, I, I guess, but I think you're going to have more success in the traditional routes. Yeah. The, the retirement centers, the retirement communities for implants are a big deal. And I think, I think once you know your core audience, to your point, I, I think it's okay to pick up someone in their thirties or forties that need an implant. And I think you will, but by specializing, you're really in the narrowing, the focus of where your marketing dollars are going, how, where you're putting your time and energy. And funny enough, that's a, that's a Procter & Gamble strategy that's been around for a long time is they have this concept of the golden mom. And the golden mom is a, a mom uh, and she has three kids and her household income is X and, you know, she volunteers and, she, and, she, and, and this is the pro, her profile. And they know that a golden mom is worth, uh, you know, substantially more money than just a random, you know, other person. And their marketing is really built around that. And sure, they'll take anyone's money who wants to buy their product, but they really focus on honing in and niching down in their audience. And the irony is they're broad appeal as you can be. I mean, everyone needs laundry detergent to some degree, but they they very much niche down and they've been wildly successful at it. So once you know who you're reaching, kind of figure out what channels they're at, where they're at, and then you know, focus your marketing efforts on on reaching them. And I think the last point is you have to almost uncommoditize yourself, right? By you need to highlight the cases you're working on. You need to demonstrate excellence. If you go to a CE course, you need to make sure it's communicated. I think you have to show a level of sophistication and and excellence in in that niche. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I would say a big point there is to get those patient testimonials, those reviews, and especially word of mouth. I know for the older crowd, a lot of the word of mouth stuff is the only way they'll go because they get so overwhelmed with marketing mm -hmm. and how it has really flooded everything they do. I know for my mom, she doesn't look at anything besides, you know, maybe a TV ad here or there or whatever her little circle of friends tells her because mm -hmm. as you get older, your world tends to get smaller. The people that you interact with are fewer. And so your trust is really in that circle and anything outside of that, it seems a little bit scary and um, maybe even a little unapproachable. Now we've been talking about implants a lot. What do you think about your uh, younger dentist and you're looking to reach families? What's, you know, walk me through how those three steps would apply there. Yeah. So I would say you kind of touched on it there with the golden mom 
idea where you're trying to reach these families and especially the mom, because like you said, the mom is usually making the decisions for the families. You often don't see the, the dads taking the time to sit and research and read the reviews and take a look at what's going on in, in their community. It's usually moms. And so they're going to pick what dentist they take their kids to. And often people want to go to one place. Nobody really likes to go this for their kids and then this for themselves. Like you want a central hub. So getting a family dentist that can work with your kids and you and your husband or whoever else is in the family is probably going to be ideal because moms with younger kids don't have time. They don't have time to make multiple stops and multiple appointments. You all, you just want to get it all done. And so figuring out where to reach all the moms, you know, what, is it schools? Is it community posts? Is it, you know, sports stuff? Like maybe having a banner at a sports event or something like that. Things where parents are likely to go to is going to be your target. And then um, making yourself stick out by getting other moms to talk about their experience, whether that's, you know, in a video itself, you know, is it in the reviews, making sure that everywhere that you do have social validation, you have a lot of it and it's like quality. Because I think moms are going to take the time to really dive into that and see themselves in those reviews and in those videos and, and see, is this going to be a good fit for me? How important do you think it is that I'm in the same sort of life phase as the people I'm trying to reach? Is it, is it just make it easier that, you know, I can probably do it or is, is it more challenging? How, what's your view on that? I don't know if it matters if you need to be in the same life phase as the people you're trying to reach. Maybe it can help because you'll probably have more empathy and a little more understanding of their situation mm -hmm. and, and their logic and their mindset and things like that. You're more but, likely to know who they are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so I would say it's, you know, correlation, not causation, right? right. I'm, I'm more likely to understand someone who's, you know, in their, in their mid to late forties, but that doesn't mean I, I can connect with them easier. I just, I happen to be there so I can, I can see what their life is. <laughs> yeah. But I would say if you're, let's say, you know, you were a dentist and you were trying to reach the older crowd, I think, Spending enough time with enough people, you're going to understand. Now that we've talked about dentists that you know do implants and dentists that serve families, what do you think about dentists that are looking to do fee-for-service versus insurance? I think fundamentally it's the same answer. In the 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 difference is the biggest barrier to a patient joining a practice that accepts most insurances, do you take my insurance? And I, the barrier to entry is lower for those patients because they're, they're assuming a level of quality and, and you take their insurance. So, so it's, it's, it's a different dynamic. I think the difference between a fee for service and how they would broaden their appeal to more patients and, and, even be able to pick up people that have insurance, be able to pick up people that don't have insurance. I think it is getting to understand. I think that first bullet point of knowing or figuring out your people is the most important one. Because if someone calls and says, do you take my insurance? Yes and no is, is definitively the wrong answer. Uh, even if, even if you do, for some reason, that is still the wrong answer. I, I maintain the real answer is gosh, Kristen, tell me why, you know, that's your first question. And, you know, are they looking for $10,000 in treatment or are they looking for, you know, they think they just need cleanings. And to me, I believe that the most successful fee-for-service practices get behind that question. But while they're not saying it, they're actually getting to know who their people are and figuring out what they want. Because if, if, you know, 
I, I don't happen to take your insurance. We, we're out of network, but you need a ton of dental work. Honestly, I don't, I don't know how much is going to help you anyway, having the insurance plan, but, but educating the consumer on that. So a, a fee-for-service practice to me needs to really get behind the insurance question. And then it goes from an order taker to more of a, let me talk about why my dentist is amazing for you. And the demonstration of excellence helps and, 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 and all that. But, but I think it's really knowing them, but getting behind why they're asking the question and then being able to articulate and demonstrate excellence on why this is the place for you. And I think once you've done that, now I can have a discussion around insurance plans and, and not and filing and out of network benefits and, and such things. But, but, but now I've, I've, I've told you know, I've effectively niched down, if you will, on why this is a place for you, but I've done it in a way that I'm I'm customizing it to your specific case or what you think your case is. I know that there's a ton of people who call in and are like, I just need cleanings and it turns out they have, you know, you know, perio and some other stuff. But um, you know, you're you're always gonna have that. But to me, it's leaning more into knowing your patient and having the attention and temerity to get behind the question of why they're asking about insurance. Yeah, I, I, it's probably the, the best answer I can give on that. But ironically, to, to, you know, sort of tie back to the beginning, paradoxically, they're, they're niching down to broaden their appeal, even in that scenario, is, is if someone could articulate why it, it, that was important, I would buy certainly want to go there. Yeah. I would also say as a person who pays extra my dental appointments, I have really enjoyed the in-house membership plans at all. I find the value in them to be much higher than if I was on a dental insurance plan, which only covers my two cleanings, you know, twice a year and that's it. With these in-house memberships, I'm getting X percent off treatments. And so it makes me more likely to get those treatments because I don't have to pay the full price. Yeah. I think those are very effective tools and there are places in that once I've, once I've answered your questions and I have you believing that I'm in your corner and I should be in your corner, of course, but now I can talk about the tools to fund your treatment, or I can talk about the tools to get you the, the care you need. I do find that offices flip. They start talking about the in-house plans before they understood the need. And there's so much misinformation about dental insurance, you know, but flipping it like look, right now you pay X percent per paycheck to get these benefits. You can pay X percent to get th these benefits too. It is, is I think you can only answer that question from a position of understanding once I know what you need. Otherwise it just sounds like sales and that, you know, that sucks. No one wants that. Yeah. But I, I love the in-house programs. I think they're a huge point to address the financial piece of, of not accepting insurance. Yeah. What's a good way to market the fee for service though from the beginning? Like how do you like if you were an insurance-based office and you're trying to switch to fee for service, isn't that like a huge undertaking and you could lose a lot of your patients? I think it's low key huge. I, I think it sounds easy. I'm just gonna drop insurance plans and you know, it's my belief that that is represents a cultural shift in a practice. And in fact, I think you're changing the type of people that you're going to attract. And to do that, I, you 
I believe you also have to change some of the culture of your practice. And the first one is, is in the front desk. It is no longer an order taker. It is a sales role and it needs to be treated as a sales role. It is the first sort of cultural shift that needs to be made. The second is I don't believe that you can, you, you can know, in fact, I say I'm stronger than I don't believe. You can no longer just casually tell a patient they need something. Hey, Christy, you need a crown. You need a filling. That language in and of itself feels very, you're not helping me. You're telling me what I need. Not, not. And as you get into fee-for-service, because I'm coming out of pocket with cash for all of it, I'm going on a different journey of tell me the value it's going to give me. Talk to me about, I, I think that's when you get into have, you need someone to either the dentist or you need someone on your staff that can sell treatment, not just present it. I, I think an a insurance-driven office can present treatment. I, I think a fee-for-service practice really needs to sell treatment. I think they need to talk about what cases are available, look, look at examples of work, talk about the approach, talk about their options. And it needs to move from a need to, based on what you've told me, this is what I think your care should be. Let, let's talk about it. So I, I think the first cultural shift is the front desk. I think the second is in how treatment is presented to uh, patients. The third is how is the outward facing marketing that occurs. I, I don't like new patient specials. I, I don't want any anything that cheapens my brand because I am a brand now. Uh, and, and I know that it's me. I'm the dentist and the, and the brand is me and I'm the brand. But I want nothing that cheapens my brand. And when my reviews need to be great, my my patient testimonials need to be out there, public facing. I need to have my CE and technology well well represented on my site, and I need to have my approach, because the first thing that a fee for service practice sells in an insurance driven practice, it's do you take my insurance, yes or no, and then it's okay, does this doctor meet my needs? And a fee for service practice is going to be how can I get them excited about the dentist to where they are willing to have a conversation about financials that may not be in their favor sometimes? And, and I, I, it's, it's a very subtle but important distinction in putting the, the brand or the dentist out there first is the, the three primary points that change as you evolve from insurance-driven to a fee-for-service practice. So essentially, you need them to fall in love with you first. Yeah. They can't refuse. Or believe that you, yes, they need to fall in love with you, your approach to dentistry, or believe that you are their best option in their oral health care. Yeah. And they're out there. I, I uh, you know, I believe that fee-for-service practices can succeed in almost any town or village or otherwise. I, I I think it's a function of, you know, to use a term of a pain-free term, bear hugging who you are and believing in it. And I, I don't, I think that we've always ebbed and flowed on the number of offices that accept insurance. And as the reimbursement rate gets lower and lower, as fewer and fewer companies offer, you know, what I would call good dental insurance, we're in the middle of a massive shift. Okay. That was your body dental marketing. Kristen, thank you so much for your time. I know that uh, you're busy and always appreciate it.